Today's message is going to be a little bit interesting. I want to warn you up front that the the scripture is going to come towards the end of the message. I tell you that ahead of time, especially in case you're a guest and you're like, does this guy even believe the Bible? (laughs) The answer to that is yes. Um, But I don't want to give away the answer uh, to the question that I hope forms as we... They didn't put it up. Okay. I saw people's eyes go to the screen. Um, I don't want to give away the answer to the question that I hope kind of rises up in your heart as, as I, I talk about a really interesting thing that's happening in our society. I'm reading a book titled The Rise of the Nuns by James Emery White. And it's not a thriller that takes place in a convent. Um, it's Rise of the Nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S. Okay, so nuns, unaffiliated with any religion. Um, that means that if they were taking a survey about what faith they're a part of, they would check the N-O-N-E box, the nun box, not the nun box, which means I live in a convent. The main idea of this book is that our, our society, our, our nation specifically, is more and more affiliating with no religion, with no specific faith. It doesn't mean that they don't believe in God. It just means that they don't necessarily buy into anybody's belief system concerning God. So they're none. uh, That none box down there at the bottom. And this creates kind of an interesting shift in our culture because we can't just use Christian terms and assume that people understand what we're talking about. And we can't use traditional Christian methods because people won't necessarily know what we're talking about. I was talking to someone during our, uh, before service, and we were talking about open-air preachers. Pastor Brett Fuller, the senior pastor of Grace Covenant, uh, came to Christ because of an open-air preacher. There was a time where that was an incredibly effective means of evangelism. People would stand on the corner on a soapbox, literally on a soapbox. It's a wood crate for those of you that don't know what a soapbox is. And they would, and they would shout and they'd preach and they'd say, repent, come back to Christ. You're sinning. And people would hear this message and they'd be pierced to the heart and they would repent and they would join a church and become disciples and they, and they would grow up in faith because of an open air preacher calling them back to Jesus. But that doesn't work very well if nobody was ever with Jesus. Right? Like if I stood out on George Mason's campus, I was like, come back! To Jesus! And they were like, I was never, I, was I over there? Was I at that party? <laughs> no, you weren't. Right? So it doesn't, it doesn't, the systems don't work if it, if it's reaching a different kind of people group. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up in front of the Jewish people. This is right after Jesus had been crucified. And, um, and so he was dead. Everybody knew that Jesus had died. And, and uh, the, the disciples knew that he had risen from the dead. And so there was this really interesting thing happening. The Holy Spirit poured out. Peter stands up in front, of a, in front of this massive crowd. And he's like, this Christ whom you've crucified, this Jesus, was both Lord and Christ. To a group of people who knew that the Christ or the Messiah was coming. He's basically like, you killed a guy, you have all of this religion, but you missed what God did in the midst of you. The Messiah came, you didn't even recognize him, and you murdered him. And so because the people had a context for it, they heard the message and they went, oh, dang. That's my my paraphrase. It says they were pierced through the heart and they said, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And people were like, I'm doing that. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 
but it was people who had a context for it. And then in Acts chapter 17, Paul is at the Areopagus in Athens. That's a place where people would come and argue and they'd, they'd philosophize. Is that philosophize? Philosophy each other to each other. They would philosophy to each other. <laughs> they'd be philosophical and stuff. <laughs> So he's at the Areopagus, and they, in the Athens, they were really religious people. And so they had all of these different gods, and they had names for the gods, and they had roles for the gods. And they're like, well, that's the god of light, and that's the god of storms, and that's the god of corn, and that's the god of plates, or, you know, whatever. And so they had all these different gods, and then they had this one monument for an unknown god, because they didn't want to miss one. Like, just in case, in our attempts, we've missed a god, let's just put it here as an unknown, and it's kind of like, you know who you are. <laughs> it's like, I don't have time to thank everybody, but you know who you are. That, that's what that was. And so Paul shows up on the scene, and these people had no context for the idea of one God who could do everything. And Paul stands up, and he's like, I'm going to make your life real easy. You don't have to remember all of these gods upon gods upon gods and their roles and their responsibilities and their spellings and everything else. Like, here's what you got to do. I said spellings. I flashed back in my head. You know how sometimes there's a transition, like you're thinking something as you're saying it? I thought back to seventh grade history and I had to memorize the gods and I bombed. Got Hermes right. They, um, but <laughs> that's my last name. <laughs> so, um, so they had all these, he's like, I'm going to make your life real easy for you. You don't have to remember there's one God and he's the creator of heaven and earth. And this God wants to be known so much that he took the form of a person and lived and walked among us. He became a man so that you could know him, so that you could see him, so that you could behold him, so that you could see in man the full expression of God. And this God died so that your sins could be forgiven, so you couldn't just know about him, but you could live an intimate life with him. And he would forgive your sins, and he'd cleanse your life, and he'd promise you eternal life. And then, when you die, you get to go be with him for all, for all of eternity, forever. Pretty cool message. But people had no context for it before Paul stood up and preached to them. What this book is making the argument of is because so many more people are checking none, this is where they, this is the category that most of the people that we know who aren't in church this morning fall into. And that's that they think that they've encountered uh, true Christianity. They understand the role of church. They understand the role of Jesus. And they've said, no, thank you. Because they haven't seen the relevance of it. They're like, ah, I've seen church and no thanks. I've met Christians, no thanks. I've been around that, I've seen it on TV, no thanks. Not sure I want to praise break. Not sure I want to praise dance. Don't want the Holy Spirit interrupting me in the grocery line. Don't really want to talk to anybody, I'd rather keep my money. Right? Well, that's like the things that we get worried about are the things that, you know, it's so funny. It's like, I'd rather keep my money and then go pay $50 for a t-shirt at a concert. You don't want to keep your money. You just want to control it. And that's, that's all of us, right? I'm not condemning you if you have a hard time offering money. I mean, that's, I'd rather control my money.
for the, for the sake of transparency, I, I'm going to tell you I haven't finished the book yet. <laughs> but, I've, but I read the Bible. Amen. Every day. I read the Bible. And, and I believe that in it, there are, there is promise after promise of, of God's love and affection and desire for those people to come to the knowledge of him. It's weird to say those people. Uh, right? It has kind of a racist connotation. Am I the only person that thought it? Yep, only the white guy. For those who don't know Christ to come to the knowledge of him. Um, the trick is that Ah, and this is an argument that he makes in his book. He says that it's no longer saying, hey, I know you like Delta. We want you to fly United instead. Oh, you know, Grace Covenant Chantilly is too big. Come to Sterling. We're small. <laughs> right? Or however people want to sell it. Right? I know you went to that church down the street, but their music was was too loud and yours is too quiet or yours is too quiet and this one's too loud and this one has too many hymns and this one doesn't have enough hymns. And so it's kind of like this consumer, like, oh, I like this form of church. Right? Like, I like this style of worship. I like it when, you know, the pastor whoops or doesn't whoop or I like it when my pastor wears a bow tie. Pastor didn't even tuck in his shirt today. Right, And we've got all these preferences built up on top of uh, true expression of faith, which is to love and obey Jesus. And we've got all these preferences built up. So he's saying in his book, he's like, we no longer are trying to trick people into drive, flying on our airline. Really what we have to do is we're talking to people who know that there are flights places, don't really want to go And if they did want to go, they wouldn't necessarily want to fly an airline anyway. We need them to sign up online, buy a ticket, invest in it, get through security, through the concourse and down the ramp and find seat 15C. But so much of the way that we think, especially if you've grown up in church, is just kind of like, fly Grace Covenant Sterling. (laughs) Right? You with me? Fly Grace Covenant Chantilly. Fly Grace Cup, fly every nation. It's like, no, no, no. Fly, fly Jesus, right? Like, like, right? But, but, but really, it's like, it's like, instead of all this preference stuff, it's like, why would I fly Jesus? Why would I want Jesus? Why would I want this? What relevance is it to my life? Why is it important? And you can hardly blame people for, for acting like Jesus isn't important when we often act like Jesus isn't important or relevant. And so, you know, I think that I think the most important thing that we can do is to live God-fearing lives in the midst of generations who have said, no, thank you. The unaffiliated will never believe that the gospel, that faith in Christ is important and relevant if we don't live like Jesus is important and relevant. If Christianity is to you or me, uh, if Sunday morning is to you and me a sing-along and a TED Talk, they'll say, no, thank you. Or if Christianity 
is a Sunday morning with a sing-along and a TED Talk, they'll say no thank you. And can you blame them? The unaffiliated will go, oh, I can get a better talk online. And I can get better music online. And I get to pick the volume and the pace and the speed, and I get to pick and choose all of it. I can just craft it for myself. But for Sunday morning to be all that Christianity is would be like for, I don't know, date night to be all that marriage is. Date night's great. I love it. My wife and I, we value it. We look forward to it. We're bummed when you don't get to go on a date. I look forward to our next date. But that's not all that marriage is. Marriage has intimacy and fun and secrets and laughter and joys and pains and sorrows and obstacles and, and, and beautiful challenges. <laughs> I almost said bountiful challenges. Let's see, but I cut it and I just ruined it. <laughs> that's not all it is. God's inviting us to be free from shame, free from guilt, free from worry. But you can't run a car without fuel. Let me say that in the opposite. God is calling us to live free, to live secure, and to live a fulfilling life. But we'll never experience the fullness of that if we don't put the appropriate fuel in our car. So what is that appropriate fuel? In John fifteen four, Jesus tells us exactly what we need. Jesus is preparing to leave. Jesus has spent this time with the disciples and he's, he's, he's saying, hey, things are about to change. It's going to change and it's going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to like it at all. But when I'm gone, don't just lose your minds and be depressed and walk around lost. That's not why I'm leaving. I'm leaving so that you could be filled with joy. I'm leaving so that you could be full of hope. I'm leaving so that you could be, you know, you could have eternal life. And he's describing this to them and they don't know if they believe him. They don't understand what he's saying, but he's, he's preparing them for his, for his coming crucifixion and resurrection. So in John 15, 4, He gives us the secret, I think, as to how we will um, be a light in the darkness, how we'll be salt in the earth. Two and four, the unaffiliated. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
as the fathers as the father has loved me so i have loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love father help us abide amen To live this life of joy and hope and fulfillment is impossible apart from Jesus. As Jermaine shared in the, in the offering message today where he was talking about we're, we, we like the DIY thing, we like the do-it-yourself thing. I, we like the idea of being strong enough and pulling ourselves up and making ourselves righteous and making ourselves presentable and making ourselves good enough both for God and for everybody who's looking on us. But the gospel tells us that no man is good. The gospel tells us that every man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only solution for that desperate sickness of sin is Jesus himself. Is a heart surrendered to him. A heart that loves him. A heart that obeys him. The fruit that's going to be attractive to the unaffiliated as opposed to unattractive to the unaffiliated. The unattractive fruit is the fruit that's like, well... They, they're, they're, they're doing the same things as me. They're living the same way as me. They're struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with. And there doesn't seem to be fruit of victory. But I promise you, the unaffiliated are looking for people who are going to bear good fruit of the kingdom. Amen. They want you to be different. Yeah. They want you to have victory. They want you not to watch that rated R movie. Amen. They don't want to see you at certain concerts. It's confusing and frustrating. I am in no way saying you can't go to certain concerts. But you probably shouldn't go to certain concerts. <laughs> right? <laughs> What's cool about fruit is it just happens. And so you don't have to try and be a certain way in front of your neighbors. You know, I went to the pool yesterday and, you know, there was a little temptation to suck in my gut. <laughs> little temptation. You just want to impress my wife. I've been working out hard for a year at the breakfast club. <laughs> I'm working out with these guys and I'm like, I've made some progress and I wanted to suck it in. And I was like, I'm going to have to let it go at some point. Might as well just... <laughs> <laughs> Just let it go. <laughs> My kids would be like, why is daddy uncomfortable? Daddy looks different. We don't have to, to fake it. The fruit happens. As I continue to, to work out, as I continue to eat more healthy, as I eat less nachos and less wings, whew, my body's getting healthier and stronger and, and I'm, I'm pulling in. That's just a side effect. That's not the goal. I want to be healthy. I want to I be able to play with my kids when I'm 50, you know? Right? And I couldn't play with my kids when I was 27. That was my problem. Like, Daddy, do you want to play? It's like, oh. <laughs> no thanks. I remember in, um, on my soccer team, there was this guy and he, he acted a fool. He was on all these parties and doing all this stuff. And I was Bible club boy, right? I had a Bible club at my school. We called it Bible club because I was not creative. 
right? Like if I named Grace Covenant Church, we'd probably call it church. <laughs> Just keep it simple. Right? I've got a simple mind. I got a <laughs> and um I remember, you know, we were talking one time and he, he they were hung over from a party that they had gone to and I was like, I should come with you guys. Next weekend, I should come with you. I should, I just, just try it out. I don't even, I didn't mean it. I was just saying it. And he got mad at me. He actually shoved me. I shoved him back. And he said, don't you dare. He said, we need to know that what you're doing is right and true. They were kind of depending on me to be this compass so they could know how far they had gotten off. You know, or like a, a measuring stick, the constant in an experiment. They're like, we're all doing the wrong thing. We just want to know how far away from the wrong thing we've gotten. <laughs> By the way, I'm not, a, I'm not a great measuring stick. Right? The plumb line is the gospel, yeah, which is unchanging. You catch me on a bad day, <laughs> you, might think, <laughs> you might get the wrong idea of what the standard is. Catch me on a good day, you might get the wrong idea of what the standard is. Here are our challenges. And then I want to do something and we'll land pretty quickly. It's to remember the gospel. We abide by remembering the gospel. Preach it to yourself every day. Before you check the email, before you check the news, before you check the scores, remind yourself of Christ's love for you. Remind yourself that, that you've sinned and your sin separates you from God, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That means that you can live forever because Jesus gave himself up willingly for free for you. And it's amazing how that shifts my day because it, instead of starting behind, I'm starting ahead. And the reason we check our email first thing we wake up is because we don't want to be behind. We check the scores because we don't want to be behind. But the reality is our position hasn't changed any. We just have more information. But when we remember the gospel, we actually start ahead. It's like regardless of what's waiting for me in my email, regardless of whether or not the team won or lost, you know, go ahead, Columbia, yeah, yeah. Regardless of what's happened, I'm starting ahead. Because I'm a son of God. He's redeemed me. He's restored me. He knows my name. He's given me life. So we've got to remember the gospel. Here's the other challenge. Not to add so much to your Christian faith that it's unrecognizable to, the, to, to an unaffiliated. Right? So not to add so much language and so much of yourself that, that they're like, is, what's, where's Jesus? You know, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out. I, I wrestle with this on a weekly basis. Maybe too much. Because I don't want my playfulness and sense of humor to get in the way of finding Jesus. Because it'd be real easy to get stuck on me. And I don't want, I don't want uh, worship to get in the way of finding Jesus. I don't want, the, the, you know, like this is the kind of silly stuff. I'm like, is this podium good or bad? Should we use the table instead? Which one's less offensive? <laughs> it's stupid. I, you're right. It doesn't matter. It's a podium. And it's probably appropriately a podium. But we don't want to add so much that Jesus can't be found. 
And it's like, oh, to be saved, you need to, we, we talked about this last week, I think. We, you, to be saved, you need to work on all these different service teams. You need to do all these different things. You've got to memorize all these scriptures. You have to simply believe. Amen. You have to simply obey. You have to simply love Jesus. But we add all these layers of requirement. And so it's like, it's so unrecognizable that it looks impossible. I'm so glad that the prayer I prayed when I was six with my parents, as simple and as much as I didn't understand at the time, satisfies the requirement for salvation. Did I understand everything? No. Do I understand everything now? No. Will I ever? No. But the requirement for salvation isn't to understand everything, so why would we put that on somebody else? We wait for somebody to clean up their life before we share the gospel with them. No, how about we just share the gospel and we let it clean up their life? You with me? I'm glad my parents didn't wait. (laughs) They'd still be waiting. And that's that's with Jesus. (laughs) Don't fake it. I think that's how we add to it is we, we fake it. We're like, well, I'm a Christian now. I'm gonna, I've got I've to do this and this is what Christians do and this is what Christians say and this is how Christians act and I'm going to act like a Christian. And you kind of put on this pretense. It's a, it's a challenge not to fake it. I'm not saying throw up on everybody if you've had a bad week. But you don't have to front like everything's okay if you're struggling. Life is hard. The, the gospel promise isn't that life wouldn't be hard. It's that Jesus would be with us through it all. That he would never leave us. The gospel promise is that life will be hard, but take hope. Jesus has overcome. The bottom line is, is that for us to be relevant to and show the importance of Jesus to unaffiliated people. We can't be a people who just go to church. We need to be the church. We need to abide in Christ and let him have his way in us so that he can have his way through us. And he's, he's going to put your hand, he's going to put his hands on all sorts of different things. Like even in a message like this, I think, you know, like I'm, as I was studying this week, I was like, man, I'm convicted. This needs to go. I need to consecrate myself here. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't think this way anymore. And what he puts his hand on in your life is going to be very, very different, but it's all to bear kingdom fruit. Yeah. It's all to bear fruit that looks like him. I had a list of questions that I can't find. So what do you do? Well, the last line of that passage says that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have uh, Oh, I, I left that 11. Verse 11. Sorry, we're going to go just a minute long. Yeah, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that that my joy, that's the joy of Christ, may be in you 
and that your joy that's yours may be full. I think this fullness of joy that's available is perhaps the most enduring and most uh, impactful fruit that we could bear to somebody who's unaffiliated. So what do we do when we don't feel joy? We abide. What do you do when you're hurting? You abide. What do you do when you're lost? Abide. What do you do when you know what to do? Abide. So you don't do the wrong thing. What do you do when you've got to make a decision? Abide. What do you do when you're believing for somebody else? Abide. What do you do when your heart hurts for a friend or for a spouse or for a kid? You abide. You with me? What do you do when you don't feel like abiding? Abide. We abide in him. Set aside everything else and abide in Christ. We abide in him. In his word, we abide in him. In worship, we abide in him. In service, we abide in him. As we fellowship, the early church, what the, how they responded to this after Jesus left, it says that they, in Acts chapter 2, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching, preaching, that is to us scripture, to the breaking of bread, sounds awesome, to fellowship together and to prayer. And that's how they learned to abide right off the top. And what the Bible says is that people were being added to them daily. I want us to go out and invite people to join us. But what we ought to be inviting them into is an abiding in Christ and an abiding in fellowship and an abiding in community where the life of Christ comes through us and bears good fruit.